Salutation Starlights and Ave. Welcome to this podcast called Babylon Rising, an occult podcast with a focus on sexuality, art, and liberation. And I'm back with another episode. show and was super excited. I'm so glad. To be honest, I've been planning to do this episode since the very first episode of this show, uh, which is also titled Babylon Rising. For anyone slightly less excited, I'd like to explain a bit the purpose of this episode and like, to be honest, the purpose of the show and also the purpose of this episode. I will be explaining. I want to share spiritual tools to people who might need them and reveal at least to my from my knowledge healing and magical potential where I can see it Uh, and like as a black queer person I've been able to take something that was once almost a symbol of my very traumatic relationship to femininity and turn it into a queer religious icon instead. And that's what I want to share in this episode. So after a quick break, uh, we'll get into the episode. Before we get into the episode, I'd like to remind everybody listening that this show could really use your support through leaving a review on iTunes, sharing an episode with a friend, or through giving a few dollars to the Patreon for early access to episodes and for bonus content. Uh, You can find my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Babylon Rising, link in the description. Also, if any black people are interested in a free tarot reading, please contact me through my Instagram DMs. My handle is venus.libitna, also always linked in the description. Alright, thank you. So, today's very extra special episode is going to focus on none other than the Blessed Virgin Mary, a woman slash goddess slash saint who needs almost no introduction if you live anywhere in the world with slightly culturally Christian influences. But I will give her one anyways. Mary or Miriam would have been a first century BC Galilean Jewish woman. According to the New Testament in many Christian Bibles and also in the Quran, she was the mother of Jesus of Nazareth. And just according to a lot of Christians, she was the virgin mother of God. There are a lot and I do mean a lot, of wildly varying beliefs about Mary, uh, even when looking just within various Christian dogmas and theologies. And I hope to parse through that for the sake of a somewhat cohesive episode. Uh, Like, please do not expect me to, to be able to wade through this waist deep, like, is it wrong to refer to this subject matter as like, a septic tank? Uh, is that blasphemous? Who knows? I'm not Christian. Uh, just don't think I could ever cover everything in one episode, is what I'm trying to say. 
like I mentioned earlier, Mother Mary is considered to be, by Catholics at least, the immaculately conceived eternal virgin mother of God. Her immaculate conception, if you're unfamiliar with the term, um, is in reference to her supposedly being born without sin, which is so interesting to think about uh, because, you know, I grew up in a Catholic environment um, throughout my adolescence, and there was definitely still plenty of wild debate about Jesus being born with or without sin, or did he ever sin? Um, And like, we all know what we were supposed to believe, but there was definitely still a lot of debate about the subject. Um, But in terms of Mary in that environment, there wasn't really any debate about the Immaculate Conception. That was sort of done, a done deal. It was done and settled. Um, It's just interesting to consider. And so it's like something I enjoy bringing up with people who uh, are maybe like, not so familiar with um, a Marian practice in any way. There's there is some disagreement like um, about Mary like amongst various Christian dogmas. Um, one big topic that I remember being introduced to pretty young is whether or not Mary can be called the Mother of God or the Queen of Heaven or any other such similar terms, or if that is some kind of blasphemy um, amongst Christians. And, you know, I'm not Christian, uh, and I definitely have a very uh, Catholic flavor of Mary that I, like, incorporate into my practice. But, I mean, this is sort of the the Mary discourse, you know? Um, Basically, the idea behind this idea that you shouldn't give Mary these high titles is supposedly she can't be considered the mother of God because um, she's she didn't give birth to like uh, God the Father. She only gave birth to Jesus Christ. So she's like the mother of Jesus, but not the mother of God. And you shouldn't give her titles like Queen of Heaven or such and such because it's devil worship question mark. Like I said, I grew up in this environment. It was Catholicism at school all day and then Protestantism at home and on the weekends. Uh, But even I still cannot wrap my mind around the big, like, war. (laughs) I'm going to describe it as a war because these people would describe it as a war, a spiritual war about what Mary is and is not. Anyways, I spent a little much, I, sorry, I spent a little more time on that than I was necessarily intending to, um, so we can move on now. Um, in fact, normally this is where I would talk about the way Mary's been written, um, in the Bible, but I found it kind of difficult, I will admit, to find sources I could stand to read about Mary's first appearance in the Bible and like a quote um, that wasn't super Christian. Like I have a copy of the New Testament and Psalms somewhere in my occult bookshelf um, and I was not going to be flipping through that. Um, But basically, generally speaking, Mary's first appearance in the Bible is in the New Testament where um, the story starts with an angel telling her that she's gonna give birth to God or a special child and 
you, we all know the story. Her and her husband go off into the desert and give birth to Jesus in a manger. Um, now, different gospels give different amounts of attention to this story. Um, another reason I'm not going to be like reading here is because this is, like I mentioned, this is a story a lot of people listening to this are going to be familiar with. In fact, most people who listen to this are going to be quite familiar with this story. So we do not necessarily need to dwell on Mary and her source material. I guess Mary just connects with people, you know? Okay. I will admit, uh, that was a bit romantic of me, that sentence that I just read. Um, considering <laughs> a lot of the reason why Mary connects with so many people probably has more to do with colonialism and syncretization than anything else. Uh, still though, there are many folk practices and stories associated with this blessed virgin that come from people making Mary their own, you know? I've picked out um, a few of those stories to read aloud here. Let's begin with Our Lady of Lords, who um, a young poor woman named Bernadette saw a vision of on February 11th, 1858. Uh, Bernadette apparently saw a beautiful woman standing near a wasteland where Bernadette and her sister were gathering firewood. Mary apparently revealed herself to Bernadette as the Immaculate Conception, a dogma of the church that would have been very unfamiliar to Bernadette. As the Immaculate Conception, Mary was dressed in white, bearing a golden rosary and blue belt around her waist, with two golden roses at her feet. This would be the first of many sightings at Lourdes, and after much controversy over these ongoing apparitions to the community, they would eventually be approved by the church. Today, Lourdes is still a very popular pilgrimage site, and many miracles have been attributed to Our Lady's intercession. Now, I do think it is important to consider that the story that I just read and that I and the next few that I will read have been officially approved by the Catholic Church. Uh, I believe. I believe all of them are. And if you are unfamiliar and you don't know what that means exactly, basically the Catholic Church has a monopoly on legitimate spiritual experiences for its followers. So before people can really publicly engage with these mysteries, with these experiences, um, they, the experiences I mean, have to get reviewed and approved by the Catholic Church. And uh, this is especially the case with exorcisms, but this is also the case for like miracles and such. And like growing up, and I think they still say this, they say that this is 
to prevent anybody claiming that the church is um, up to no good when it comes to harming people with mental illnesses, especially in the case of people claiming uh, demonic possession and exorcism. And I definitely don't think it's a bad idea to thoroughly um, and skeptically investigate claims like that of priests or nuns exercising people. That is true. And I agree that that is a good idea. But um, especially when we're talking about more visionary experiences that are sort of like benefic um, in in most conceivable, you know, ways, um, it is probably uh, not out of the goodness of the heart of its high clergymen that they have such a monopoly on what counts as a miracle and things like that because honestly who cares if people think uh if other people think these experiences are dumb and fake and who cares if people think that the catholic church is full of bs because to be honest it is and it has been for a long time and like while they're spending this time reviewing and examining these experiences as to what can count as true and uh, non-blasphemous, why don't they spend that time taking care of the child predators in the ranks? Because they have not been doing that. Why don't they spend more time doing that? Nothing is wrong with leading a life of prayer and nothing is wrong with skepticism. Um, but there is a law wrong with uh, predation. So I think they should focus on that. Now, the story was from 1858, but there's no way that the uh, predation started in the... When was, when was all that revealed? Like the 80s, I think? Yeah, so I'm just... After each story, we're going to take some time to reflect on them and the interesting things I want to talk about. <laughs> In regards to these stories, I chose ones that um, really affected me and how I saw religion and also how I saw Mary in general. So that's the logic behind that. I mean, who doesn't know about Our Lady of Lords? And Lords is such a popular pilgrimage now. Like, listen, I don't live anywhere near there. I don't imagine myself ever going there, but I always think it's really interesting. Okay, something I didn't mention in the story is people claim that lords is like magical and that there's healing water and that they were healed there um and i've always found it interesting like healing springs and wells like not like healing springs and wells in terms of like i don't know like natural mineral springs but i mean like spiritually healing springs i always think it's very interesting that there is such a like strong belief in so many faiths about like healing water like this it's really interesting to consider um and I don't know how I feel about it really I mean I don't really expect that I'm going to break my arm and then go to a healing spring to fix that but I don't know magic is weird like maybe that I do that and then something crazy happens this is all hypothetical of course but yeah, I always think it's interesting. Like, miracles and the Catholic Church are really interesting. I mean, I just critiqued the whole structure of that the Catholic Church has to approve the miracles. But like I said, I I do think it's interesting to have 
like a strict review process for what counts as magical or a miracle. I think that's something that as pagans and and witches and such, we try to do what you should be doing. If you're not keeping notes, if you're not reviewing your experiences, then shame on you. Uh, Well, no shame. I don't believe in shame. Try your best to figure out a way that you can critically analyze your experiences because it will help you in the long run to pick up on patterns or changes. So there's my like little spiel on um, doing your due diligence as a witch and we're getting a little away from the topic of Our Lady of Lords. So let's get into the next story, okay? Now, while herding sheep near their village of Fatima in 1916, Lucia Santos and her two cousins, Jacquina and Francisco Marto, were witnesses of an angelic vision um, on three occasions. Um, They explained that this vision was of the Angel of Peace. The angel appeared to them to increase their efforts at mortification and prayer, and one year later, the children saw a woman who shone brighter than the sun uh, and who wore a white mantle adorned in gold holding a rosary. Apparently, the beautiful, shining woman encouraged the children to pray the rosary daily in order to bring peace to the world and end the war. Mary continued to appear to the three children, revealing prophecies and even making the sun dance, whatever that means exactly, so that the people would come to believe in her message. Now, this is a story that definitely has stuck with me over the years that I have been familiar with it, and don't laugh at me, but the reason for that is that I have heard this theory that this experience in particular and these Mary visions in general are somehow connected to aliens. And I have a very love-hate relationship with that idea, um, but let's get into it a bit. So basically, a lot of people over the years have drawn a relationship between the way people talk about alien encounters and experiences and ecstatic spiritual experiences with divinity. And you could listen to somebody talk generally about their experience with either of these two phenomenon and, you know, guess. Like, which category does that fall into? Is that an alien experience or is that a God experience? And a lot of times the experiences will share many similarities to the point that it could be either one. Um, And that is really interesting. And I find that to be the case most definitely. Um, Are these particular Marian sightings alien? Or this one in particular? Is this an alien encounter? I mean, people say that the sun dancing was like the spaceship and the aliens gave these children a message. I mean, that's the other thing. Um, Normally, when Mary appears, she, to these people, she will ask for them to do something, whether it is to continue to pray for the world 
or it's to build a shrine or temple to honor her in some way. Wait, did I just say shrine or temple? I feel like I'm mixing up like religious terms here. To build um, a chapel or a shrine to honor her uh, wherever she has chosen to appear. Uh, and she'll also leave something behind, whether it is a prophecy or um, a message or uh, beautiful flowers that like got there mysteriously or something else. She asks you something, asks you to complete a task for her, and then leaves behind something as well, whatever that may be. So that's also interesting to think about. I mean, I don't know. Was this an alien experience? who knows it's fun to think about though i mean i realized i kind of glossed over my love hate thing but i did bring it up so i will finish up with that by saying that the reason i'm conflicted about that idea even though i'm generally in agreement with it is that i personally would like there to be rigorous scientific study into the possible existence of extraterrestrial life and I feel like on the topic of spirituality or paranormal experiences like we shouldn't mix that up not that that's illegitimate but it's not rigorous scientific research it's very experiential it's very it's very much a part of your being as a person and so I can appreciate that if these spiritual and alien experiences are the same thing that we're giving different names. But I mean, I would also hope that researchers investigating like other planets that are like possibly suitable to human-like life and stuff like that. I want that stuff really badly and I feel like people like mix up that stuff with their spiritual stuff to make the spiritual stuff sound more credible and i don't think we should need to do that um i think your spiritual experiences can be what they are and be important to you and be meaningful to other people who hear about it and also you don't have to do all these things to make it seem more legitimate than it is maybe that's what it is i don't know exactly i have a lot of complicated feelings about aliens and spiritual stuff and specifically when it comes to interpreting these sightings of mary as alien experiences which i think is a fine interpretation like i mentioned there are quite a lot of similarities between the way people talk about their experiences with these two phenomenon so maybe it's not mary and maybe it's not aliens and maybe it's something else entirely that we could never yet hope to conceive that would be amazing. I choose that option, honestly. That would be pretty cool if that was the case. But, I mean, who knows, really? In 1973, Akito, Japan, sister Agnes Katsuko Sasagawa saw a hand-carved wooden statue of Our Lady come alive and speak to her. The statue was said to have brought about miraculous cures to believers, the main message of Our Lady of Akita was prayer, specifically encouraging people to pray the rosary and penance. Um, she also left behind an ominous warning of persecutions and heresies to befall the Catholic Church in future times. 
Sister Sasagawa herself was apparently miraculously healed of a hearing impairment she had, heal- the healing occurring shortly after the, Mar- the Marian ap- apparition began. The statue also is reported to mysteriously cry from time to time and apparently was recorded doing so on television. So something I haven't been giving a lot of attention to as we talk about some of these stories is the prophecies. Um, I don't know why, but I just haven't sort of felt compelled to talk about them until now. Um, Mainly because this supposed prophecy is kind of explicit in the way I talk about the story itself. And do you feel like this prophecy came true? I mean, this supposedly, um, this uh, viewing of Our Lady of Akita happened in 1973. And the insane media attention on these sex scandals of the Catholic Church I mean, okay, let me rephrase, and you're going to get to hear me work this out live, but I feel um, conflicted about calling, like, what happened and what is still happening a, like, sex scandal. I feel like it makes, it sort of trivializes it, doesn't it? It makes it sound, like, cute and fun, like, so-and-so was caught cheating on their supermodel wife with another supermodel. Like, that's a sex scandal, right? This is, like, systematic, like sexual abuse like whoa okay so i'm gonna call it that now these abuses had been happening uh time immemorial um from when mana ride horse uh from time (laughs) so it's not like this but like it's not like this was like new and uh our lady was predicting something new that would happen but i mean the warning was about persecutions and i mean in terms of the media attention these stories were getting i i mean yeah you could call it that if you wanted to so like do you feel i'm asking you dear listener do you feel like this prophecy came true it predicted persecutions and heresies and that I mean yeah in the following decade in the 1980s there was tons of media attention on the sexual abuse perpetuated by the Catholic Church um and it would blow up like uh as the decade went on throughout the 80s and through the 90s um when I was a kid I do not remember much of that So I think maybe it died down in the early 2000s, or maybe I shouldn't expect to remember something like that. I don't know. Feeling conflicted about that. Um, What else did I want to say? Okay. Also, well, I was going to just move on, but I will say I kind of, I'm conflicted about whether I feel like this prophecy came true or not. I'm like in the middle, but like more on the side of it's true. It came true. I mean, come on. That's, that was pretty good no lies there in terms of uh prophecy prophesying that's not something i can do so i'm a little bit impressed now i can move on to the next topic i wanted to touch on which is mary statues doing things they're not supposed to do on film so i have a bit of an addiction with conspiracy theories and it's not healthy um it's really bad for you for my brain 
in particular, I don't know about other people, I, I get paranoid really easily. Um, this stuff affects me very intensely. Um, and it has been a problem since I was a kid. Now, I don't know if this is just the way I was born and I'm just a naturally uh, paranoid and anxious person. But, or, or, sorry, or if it is from me being on the internet at a young age, uh, because I definitely was, and I definitely do remember watching um, very conservative, very conspiratorial videos about how rock and roll is literally the sound of the devil's farts. <laughs> um, that was my silly way of saying that. Yeah, and then I got like, scared to do the horns like the rock and roll horns because the video this was youtube by the way this was like early 2000s youtube so it was kind of crazy but yeah i got afraid to do the horns i didn't even listen to hard rock or black metal or anything and i never had needed to do the horns actually that's not true it, i had done it before um like playing around with friends and playing pretend games but all of a sudden I felt like if I did it now, it would summon Satan right there into my hand. Uh, I was very freaked out. Anyway, so back to Our Lady of Akita uh, and her statue crying on television and this topic in general. So I am obsessed with conspiracy theories. It is unhealthy. I would call it an addiction, but I will say I there's this one particular video. I'm not going to link it because I feel like it's a little too indulgent. Um, and it's like allegedly like Mary statue moves. And I hate these types of videos. I hate this claim like put on to Our Lady of Akita's good name. She doesn't need that. But it's just, it, there's almost no way for me to believe that it is true. There's so many things about video that just make a claim like that so difficult to prove. I would never believe it. If like, come on guys. I can believe that a statue moved and somebody saw it with their own two eyes or I don't know what else is weird they took a picture um and it the statue was posed a certain way and then when they looked back at the picture later it was posed a different way like lots of strange experiences I can get down and dirty with but this kind in particular I think it's because these videos look so obviously fake that I can only really entertain them as true for like a millisecond before my like my rational brain my big boy brain is like this is dumb but i am like i said i am addicted to these things why is that because often the imagery of these statues crying or shifting or moving their robes is like accompanied with crazy conservative conspiracy theories about how abortion is literally satan's farts uh, it's Satan farting into the wombs of our women. Um, it's out of control. He needs to be stopped. Um, okay, that was silly again, but I, I refuse to propagate these theories on this channel. Um, so one, I watch it for the disgusting conspiracy theories and also the comment section. Oh my God, I am getting hot under the collar. Those comments are mostly Protestants and Catholics bloodbath fighting with each other about how you guys are worshiping a false god when you pray um for intercession from mary and like you guys are disrespecting literally the mother of god are you stupid like 
this is like the nice this is me recounting these comments to you in a nice way it's getting nasty and then you get like the random atheist who's like this is all very stupid um which i appreciate them less because they're like less nasty if that makes sense which is like crazy because you'd think that type of atheist would be more nasty i mean yeah i'm in it for the cruelty what can i say i said it was an addiction i said it was unhealthy leave me alone you know i haven't really got this is a very specific video it has like a bajillion million views okay not that many views but it does have several million views and it's like mary's uh cloak moves or something like that and for my it's like a very poor camera footage so it really could be anything this is like blair witch levels of paranormal activity caught on camera <laughs> Um, like it could be that the, sh the statue was like covered in a cloth and it shifted in the wind, which is very common. People do in their Marian practices covered their statue of Mary with a cloth. So it's not like that's out of outside the realm of possibility. I feel like this story doesn't need that. The story of Our Lady of Akita crying on television, that just gives me like the er feeling as my mother would say. Um, it, it makes me fringe also as my mother would say because I personally feel like it's like more hassle than it's worth to include in the story like it's so difficult to prove something like that I personally don't believe it but I've never seen the specific footage of Our Lady of Akita if that even still exists I don't know if it was live television or whatever else yeah feel like I talked about that for kind of a long time because I brought up my my disturbing addiction I know anyways i think we're gonna move on to our next story because and i think the next one will be our last because i feel like i'm running my mouth and we are not through with this episode not by a long shot now the story goes that in 1531 saint juan diego encountered an apparition as he climbed the hill of tepiac in Mexico in what would have been his daily routine. Uh, the apparition identified herself as the Virgin Mary, the quote, mother of the very true deity, end quote, and requested that a chapel be built on that very hill in her honor. After two unsuccessful attempts to convince his bishop, uh, Saint Juan, explained to Our Lady that he needed to bring a specific sign uh, in order to verify the validity of his vision. Uh, later, when he returned to his bishop, he opened his cloak to reveal a beautiful imprint of the Blessed Mother and a few roses fell out as well. Okay, yeah. What do I want to say about Our Lady of Guadalupe? Now, I'm not Mexican, and I'm not Japanese, and I'm also not a poor English woman from Lourdes. Uh, I'm none of these things, but I definitely have opinions about these stories, and one is that I find these stories sort of tragically beautiful, in a way. It's like, it's sad because... I don't think the forces, the larger forces at play in how religious views get disseminated through colonialism 
and <sighs> nefarious forces I'll say that is sort of like makes me think of like what kind of rich spiritual practices people could have had if religion wasn't such a big part of social domination and also it's kind of really impressive that people still find something about these uh, religious practices that they are indoctrinated into through no fault of their own. It's sort of, it's a cultural thing. I grew up with a very Catholic Christian culture around me. I went to Catholic school. Um, I had a very religious paternal family that would take me to church. So I've, I've been there and done that, you know, but it's like, wow, people still find something in there that is meaningful to them, sort of despite all of the nasty stuff that helps things to end up the way that they did. It's really, it's sort of frustratingly beautiful, if that makes sense. It makes me kind of melancholy, which I don't like to feel this way. It's like the feeling of riding the bus home when you're in kindergarten and you're like three stops away. That was... (laughs) I see, this is why I don't like feeling melancholy. I start to make no gosh darn sense. So back to the matter of hand, Our Lady of Guadalupe. So yeah, you know, it's sort of frustratingly beautiful that all of these stories, including Our Lady of Guadalupe and especially her, end up the way that they do. From what I understand uh, from like my research and being sort of peripherally, no, that didn't being sort of uh, marginally aware of all of these stories, uh, we do, we did, I mean, I don't go to Catholic school anymore, but we did celebrate Our Lady of Fatima, um, and we heard about Our Lady of Guadalupe and Our Lady of Lourdes, uh, more so her than Our Lady of Guadalupe, not that that stops people from, anyways. So what I'm trying to say is I chose stories that I was familiar with in some way, um, and this is one of them, and from what I understand, this hill that saint juan went up his hikes on was already associated with some kind of feminine deity and so yeah it's really interesting the way that these places of power associated with whatever it is they were originally associated with get sort of paved over with the closest analogous hegemonic religious iconography did that sentence make any gosh darn sense wow like i said the melancholy it makes me kind of dumb okay give me a second what i'm trying to say is no i lost it if you didn't get it the first time i'm really sorry i'll probably cover it in a later episode that's kind of those are our stories you know that those weren't the stories i wanted to share on this episode about mary and it's kind of what i wanted to say about them for now on top of all of these very interesting stories uh that say a lot about mary and what she means to people uh, and about her character but on top of all of these great stories mary also has uh, plenty of epithets that also speak to the aspects of her people really resonate with you know uh some of those are of course 
the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, Gate of Heaven, the Immaculate Heart, Mirror of Justice, Mother of the Poor, Star of the Sea, Queen of Angels and Prophets, House of Gold, Mother of Divine Grace, Mother of Sorrows, Mother of Orphans, and of course, the Queen of Heaven. An epithet very personally meaningful to me is the Star of the Sea, the aspect of Mary that guides lost souls through darkness has been pretty centering for me and my personal practice. I mean, I will note that that is pretty similar to characterizations of Hecate. If if you wanted some food for thought, that is also how Hecate is described in her spiritual significance as leading the dead to where they're supposed to be. It's just interesting, food for thought. Uh, Obviously, like the more Catholic or Christian interpretation of this epithet is that Mary leads lost souls out of darkness to Jesus Christ. And no, I'm not cussing. Of course, I'm not Christian. So for me, it's not that Mother Mary leads me out of darkness and more that she helps me to navigate it more safely and to not lose sight of what exactly is important to me. Uh, You know, considering my practice mostly consists of darker or more um, uh, grimoire, demonic magic, I hope you can see why this aspect of Mary means so much to me. You know, I, like on top of that uh, sort of darker magical practice, I also on top of that do my own shadow work and when you do shadow work or when you work with darker forces it can be very intense and it can be very rewarding make no mistake about that but it can also be like you can also get lost in the sauce is what i'm trying to say magic can make you get lost in the sauce of any kind but especially if it's very intense and heady you know and Mother Mary, she is the chicken nugget in my sauce, okay? (laughs) She helps me remember that sauce isn't all there is, you know? Darkness isn't all there is as much as I can appreciate it for what it, for what it can do for me and for how it is a part of me. It's not all I am. It's not all there is. And I have not really a lot of problem facing shadows facing dark forces uh, that may or may not have my best interests at heart, but I don't gotta have that on my mind all the time, you know? I gotta remember why I'm into this stuff, why it matters to me. And Mother Mary helps me to see that when I work with her. Like, I'll do a long period of just doing my do, like reading the the Le Megaton, um, looking into the other grimoires I'm interested in pursuing, And then, like, I I take a break from that and I work with Mary because it's just, it's so centering for me, you know? So I hope, I hope you can see, like, what I'm trying to say here, you know? Now is as good a time as any, I think, to re-acknowledge my reading of Mary as 
a queer icon. <laughs> I mentioned this at the top of the episode, and I know we've been going for kind of a while now. Oh my goddess in heaven. But yeah, we're going to talk about queerness now because did you know that this is a podcast called Babylon Rising about art, sexuality, and liberation? Did you know that? Well, now you know if you didn't or if you forgot. So I mentioned before that I have always struggled with femininity and my perceived femininity, and I felt imprisoned within that within the expectations that accompanied that, you know, being forced as a young child to be like a sweet little girl and then pressured to grow into like some kind of lovely young woman really hurt me a lot. Uh, And I felt rejected for the ways that I was naturally, unavoidably just not feminine I just can't do it. There's just certain things I just can't do. And to compensate, I started further repressing any desires I had that might have, that I might have wanted to explore because it might have made people see me and treat me in a way I wouldn't have liked. I mean, eventually I realized that I was queer um, and non-binary and that I should be able to like whatever the heck I like and I shouldn't have to feel ashamed and I shouldn't have to repress anything even slightly feminine just because it might add to the, the math I'm doing in my head about the total sum of femininity. Like that's so stupid. Um, I should be able to embrace things that I like, that I would like to embrace, even if they're feminine or even if they're not. Um, and so when I started realizing this, I started lean, like learning about femme identity in the queer community and that super changed how I lived my life and it changed it for the better. Mother Mary was and still is a part of that journey for me. I still do struggle with feminine presentation every once in a while. And for me, Mother Mary is a symbol of femme identity. It's She's a symbol of queer femme identity, of queering femininity. And like a tool I use to help me soothe my own gender-related trauma. For me, femme is about intentionally welcoming femininity into my life from a queer perspective. It doesn't mean being the woman people are always pressuring me to be. It means being soft if I want to be soft, being firm if I want to be that too. And You know, it's it's about how I present and how I want to be treated and how I want to treat other people. Because, okay, so switching gears a little bit here, but not really. I can't really separate my gender from my racial identity. I can't deny the way 
the strong black woman trope has infected myself and the women around me and our relationships. I haven't got a lot of loving softness as a part of who I am or my relationships. In fact, my largest life lesson from my mother is, quote, what's love got to do with it? A reference to the song, yeah, and the idea that there are about a million more important things in life than love. Which I guess isn't like a straight up horrible lesson. There are things that are important that aren't love, like logistics and like material circumstances, those kind of types of things. Uh, but my family has like swung so far in that direction that it's made quite a few people I can think of pretty heartless. That's why I try to look to Mary so much to learn that sometimes it's okay to love and support people and to receive that in return. But as much as Mary has been a part of me learning to be a most a less emotionally jaded person through her inclusion in my practice, um, and yeah, I'm going to talk about my practice at some point in this episode, um, there are parts of Mary I choose to leave behind like the focus on her giving birth to Jesus and like her womb uh now if that's specifically an important part of your relationship with Mary that's fine it's not like I'm denying that that's even a thing at all and like Mary isn't even the mother of Jesus and blah blah it's like it's not like I've written that out of existence but I just don't place a lot of focus on it you know um I'm not super, I don't love it, you know? I don't really like it at all. So I have like abstracted that idea so that it fits better into my practice. The idea of the pole giving birth and the womb thing, I've sort of abstracted it and sort of made it more in line with my occult practice and values. So for me, Mother Mary isn't Mother Mary the mother of Jesus Christ slash God. She's more of like a cosmic mother who like gives birth to the divine nature of human people. So when I'm uh, appropriating like Catholic Christian aesthetics, that's sort of what I'm reading into it, just so you know. I can't get behind the main thing that makes Mary like special or like a meaningful spiritual icon um I can't get behind the idea that what makes those things meaningful is her relationship to masculine divinity and her ability to give birth because to me that's just not important in in my mundane life you know what is important to me about Mary has always been the way she's portrayed to be kind to poor people, to be understanding of the sorrows of others, to be invested in justice, and to being divine in her own right. All things I hope I'm able to reflect into the world around me, you know? Another thing, another Mary thing I've dropped is the heavy portrayal of Mary as like a very white person. 
uh, there are portrayals of Mary as a non-white person. Uh, and I love those because for me, these divinities are more like psychic mirrors or reflections of us. Um, I mean, by us, I mean like people in general. I feel like it's appropriate to depict Mary however we so choose because of that. You know, if Mary is a mirror that we can project onto or read into, uh, why not portray her as a non-white person? Not everybody is white. Most people are not white, if you didn't know that. So, yeah. I say this, like, because, like, and I mean, what I'm trying to say is I bring specific attention to this because I feel like, especially in relation to this topic, the fact that the reason why Catholicism is sort of in the state it is today is because of the colonial efforts to like make the whole world Catholic three times over and then an extra fourth time. And if you're pushing the idea that Mary is for everybody, Mary is universal, um, then that is what she is. If she's for everyone, she's for everyone, full stop, no matter how those people would like to portray her. Um, it doesn't make her lose her spiritual significance if she has dark skin or if she is pink. <laughs> you know what I mean? The spiritual significance is still there. I'm still really true to a lot of ideas about Mary. Um, I personally just choose to paint her pink, you know? Um, so I think now I'm finally going to talk about my own practice with Mary. So I think I'll talk about that. So I used to have this ritual where I would invoke Mary staring uh, while I was staring into a scrying mirror and then practice automatic writing or evoke Mary and then pull some tarot cards as a way to seek guidance. Um, also evoking Mary to help with spells um, in fact, I have a specific spell in the podcast feed that does draw on Mary. Um, you don't have to draw on her. Uh, that's not like the focal point of the magic, but um, that's how I wrote it or in originally. So that's something to consider. Check that out if you want to. Um, typically, I pull on Venusian correspondences when I'm working with Mary, um, which fit together pretty easy peasy. Uh, considering what is the office of Mary. Um, so when you take that into consideration, it makes sense why I rely so heavily on Venusian correspondences. I use rose water for purification, um, especially when I am working with Mary. So that's a part of my practice for sure. Uh, I used to pray the Hail Mary a lot, actually, um, which like was a... I wanted to do that. It was very intentional. Um, okay, it wasn't originally. I will say I did have a very traumatic experience with a teacher forcing me to pray the Hail Mary when I definitely didn't want to and were allowed not to. 
praying if we don't want you in school or we were at the time um you just had to stay silent and respectful but otherwise you didn't really have to pray uh so I didn't most of the time because I wasn't Catholic and I wasn't Christian and I felt like I didn't I didn't need that you know but then I got publicly eviscerated in the fourth grade by my French teacher Mrs. Bean shout out to Mrs. Bean I hope you're well you know I hope you're doing fine I loved when you dressed up at okay never mind moving on what I'm trying to say is it was a very traumatic experience for me being first introduced to this very specific Catholic prayer and I eventually decided when I was making my Mary practice that I wanted to pray the Hail Mary as it was taught to me in school first um so it's something I chose to do eventually uh I even taking that all into account I do personally find a lot of power in letting old traditions inspire me so I prayed a typical Hail Mary for a long time before I felt moved to make my own version that spoke more to my personal beliefs I felt um I felt like I couldn't do that until the regular Hail Mary was like a really standard part of my practice something that I I did very frequently with intention um so that I could really understand what those words as is meant to me so I could make something better I can make a new and improved version you know so I did do that I wrote my own version and then I re later rewrote my own version so I've re I've written my own Hail Mary twice now um and what I've now settled on is pretty special to me um and I will share it here with you in a couple seconds so you can let it inspire you or whatever else you know I thought it'd be interesting to share this special uh Hail Mary that I made up Hail Mary throne of honor thee I invoke mystical rose in the garden of dreams Open the gates to the ecstatic within. Beloved to our hearts, cause of all joys, pour your golden chalice upon me. Star of the sea, queen of the everlasting, guide us always to your kingdom at the end of desire from this moment and beyond oblivion. Mother Mary can be a meaningful spiritual symbol if you want her to be that for you. For me, Mother Mary has been a way for me to explore my queer femme identity and to cope with my inner shadows and the shadows of the world at large. And she's been a way for me to more easily give and receive kindness and that's a really 
big reason why she has really held up in my practice she's really stood the test of time because she is what works for me you know uh, mary of course translates differently across cultures and people and i definitely didn't cover the full breadth of that so feel free to continue to explore mary and mysticism if that's what you feel called to do If you'd like to get into further contact with me, find me on Instagram at uh, venus.libitna, uh, link in the description. And don't forget, if any black people would like a free tarot reading, that's where you should contact me. Also, don't forget to support the show through iTunes reviews, sharing an episode with a friend, or if you can, by giving a few dollars to the Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash Babylon Rising. All of that is linked in the description, and until next time, Ave Babylon.